Good morning, everybody. Glad you're here. How many of you would say that video is a little too close to your reality right now? Can I say, wow. And how many of you would say, no, you're in a good place. You have no stress whatsoever in your life. Anybody? anybody? I see a couple of hands. Those of you who did raise your hands, we'd like to see you after the service. We have some things on our schedule we'd like to give to you to take care of us. No, the truth is, stress is a part of life. It ebbs and flows. It ebbs more for some of us most of the time, maybe, than it does forever, depending on the season or the circumstances or, or what you're going through. But for the last couple of weeks, what we've been doing together as a church family is just engaging in an honest conversation about the stress and overload in our lives. And for those of you who are new or you've just been gone, basically what we have discovered about stress and overload, that it is less about what happens to us and more about what is going on within us. Now, obviously, there are stressful circumstances and stressful things that we go through, but really how we respond to that stuff is a matter of faith. It is really a faith issue. It's a, a sign of who or what we are trusting in and depending on. And we've seen this throughout the scripture. Two weeks ago, we looked at those wonderful words of Jesus from Matthew 11. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. But as we peeled back the layers, what we discovered is that Jesus' invitation was not to a stress-free life here on this earth, but it was an invitation to trust Him in the stressful things of life. And then last week, Mother's Day, we looked at two sisters, Mary and Martha, who both encountered an unexpected stressful situation and yet responded to it dramatically different. Martha chose to trust in herself and her ability to work and get everything and hold everything together, and it led her to burnout. Mary chose to simply trust Jesus, to lean into him, to rest in him, and to listen for his voice. Now today, I want to look at another key factor in this issue of stress and overload, and that is the speed of life. The pace at which we live our life has a huge impact not only on our stress, but also on our faith journey. Question, how many of you have ever gotten a speeding ticket? Remember, you're in church, you got to tell the truth. If you've gotten more than one, raise both hands. Oh my goodness, I need to be careful when you guys are on the road. Listen, getting a speeding ticket... That's one of those great, wonderful life experiences, isn't it? You know, it starts with that sick, sinking feeling in the pit of your stomach when you see the patrol car turn around or pull out and the blue lights in your rearview mirror. And then there's that brief moment of hope when you slow down and pull over that maybe he's going after somebody else. But then, of course, he does it. He pulls in behind you, gets out of the car. And then there's that moment of panic 
right? Do I have my license with me, my registration, an up-to-date insurance card, and you're all panicked, scrambling through your overcrowded glove box. And then he comes up to the window, and he's always in a pleasant mood. Good afternoon. So glad to meet you. Can I have your license, registration, and proof of insurance? So you hand that to him. He makes that long walk back to the car, and for some reason sits in his car in what seems like forever, right? And you're looking in the rearview mirror, and you're looking at his face, and you're wondering, is that the face of a warning, or is that the face of a speeding ticket, right? You can tell I'm talking from experience. Then he comes back to the vehicle, and he hands you that wonderful little blue slip of paper. And he informs you that the cost of that ticket is $285 and two points on your license. Driving too fast is costly but it's nothing compared to the cost of living too fast. And the thing about living too fast is that most of the consequences are hidden in the moment. That we don't realize the damage it causes until way too late. And so this morning, I want to spend just a few minutes talking about the cost, the hidden cost of hurry. And then I want to spend the rest of our time looking at some strategies for slowing down. Some practical ways to slow down the crazy pace of this life we becoming, become addicted to living. So does that sound like a good idea? Sound like that might be scratching where you're itching today? Good. I hope so because I don't really have anything else prepared. So let's jump right in. Number one, the first hidden cost of hurry is that it increases stress and decreases joy. Hurry increases my stress and decreases my joy. It's a lot like driving in your car. It's a very different experience taking a Sunday afternoon cruise through the country versus driving four wide and 80 miles an hour on I-20 headed into Atlanta, right? Too very, I used to think that's the most stressful drive ever until I flew out to California one day to go to a conference in Orange County, but we flew into LAX. And to get from Los Angeles to Orange County, California, you got to drive south on the world-famous I-5 interstate. You think Atlanta is bad? I'm not talking six lanes wide on your side. Ten lanes. That's not an exaggeration. That's not preacher talk. Ten lanes wide and 90 miles an hour. You drive 80 out there on the I-5, they will blow your doors off. And so we flew out there with our, our founding pastor, Richard Swift, and I flew out there together for this conference. He must have been there before because he decided to let me drive the rental car. And I'm telling you, this country boy on I-5 was freaking out. It's about 60 miles, but you get there in about 20 minutes. But when I got to the hotel, I was exhausted. I just wanted to check, forget the conference. I'm checking into the room to collapse. And actually, I started realizing my hands hurt. Why are my hands cramping? It's because I've been squeezing the steering wheel the whole way. It's stressful to drive like that. You know why? Because you don't have any reaction time. You can't figure out how to deal with what's going on around you. Same thing happens when you live too fast. 
We don't have time to process the stuff we go through because we're 10 things down the road before we ever slow down enough to deal with it. It causes stress. In the Old Testament, there's a guy named Job. You might have heard of him. He's got his own book. He was a, a righteous man, a prosperous, wealthy man, and then all of a sudden, one thing after another, circumstances started just coming into his life. He lost his crops, his cash, he lost his family, he lost his health, and it was just one thing after another. And all of this life coming at him so fast, look at what he says it did to him. Job 9.25. He says, my days go by faster than a runner. They fly away without me seeing any joy. For Job, it was the circumstances that sped up his life. And maybe that's happening to you, but I bet for most of us, it's the choices we make that speed up our life. And not only is it stressful, it just sucks the joy right out of life to go that fast. Anybody ever been to the Rocky Mountains in the western U.S.? You've been in the Rockies? A beautiful place, right? I've seen the Rocky Mountains. In fact, I've seen them three different ways. I've actually seen them from a commercial airliner from 30,000 feet on a clear day, just happened to be on the right side of the plane and could look out, and they are impressive from that distance. But I can't really say I enjoyed them. I mean, we're going 450 miles an hour, so they're only in the window for like a minute or two. I've also driven through the Rocky Mountains on an interstate, and while 80 miles an hour is, is slower than 450, I really couldn't say I enjoyed them. I mean, it was a better view. It was a little nicer at that pace, but I wouldn't really say I enjoyed them. I truly learned to enjoy the Rocky Mountains when one summer I lived and worked at a camp in the Rockies. Because, see, I was there. I walked in the mountains. I smelled the clean air. I experienced the beauty of the Rocky Mountains at a slow pace. See, the beauty of the Rocky Mountains is in the detail. Just the little things, the wildlife, the trees, the detail. And you gotta slow down to enjoy the detail. I believe that the beauty in our life is in the small and simple details. Those precious moments that are so easy to miss when you're rushing through life to the next thing. Hurry causes you stress. It decreases your joy. The second thing it does, and you might be surprised by this, it, it actually makes me less productive. Did you know that? That hurry makes me less productive. Now on the surface, that seems counterintuitive, right? You think the opposite is true. The faster I go, the more I get done, right? Yes, to a point, but eventually you run into something known as the law of diminishing returns. That if you keep going faster and faster, you might get ahead in the beginning, but over the long haul, you become less effective. That's something we all learned in preschool with the story of the tortoise and the hare, right? You remember that Aesop's fable? The race between the turtle and the rabbit, and the gun fires and the rabbit takes off wide open and the turtle's just kind of plodding along and you think, no way, this is even going to be close. The rabbit's going to win, but the rabbit doesn't win. The turtle wins. Why? Because slow and steady beats too fast and too furious every time. But that 
that truth is not original with Aesop. It actually comes from God. From Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived in Proverbs 21. Look at what he says. The plans of the diligent, in other words, the slow and steady, lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. I was reading that verse this week and it reminded me of a bumper sticker I saw a long time ago that simply said, the hurrieder I go, the behinder I get. And isn't that true? When you rush and rush, you become less productive. Now listen, I am not naive. I do not believe that sitting in here today, you're going to fill out some blanks and read a couple of verses, and you're going to go home today and flip a switch and slow your life down. It's not going to happen. There are always going to be busy times, busy seasons, busy days, busy weeks. That's not the problem. The problem is we just stack busy on top of busy. We get addicted to being busy, and we start living that way even if our circumstances don't demand it. Slowing down is not about eliminating busy days, busy weeks, and busy months. They're always going to be a part of your life. Slowing down is about learning how to follow busy times with slow times. To slow down your life over the long haul. That's exactly what Jesus did. Look at Jesus' life in the Gospels. He and the disciples, they had busy days with huge crowds. They had busy weeks where they went from village to village, one right after another, living out the mission, preaching the gospel. But Jesus always followed busy times with intentional times of slowing down. Jesus' whole ministry, the, the rhythm of his public ministry is advance and retreat. Advance and retreat. That is the rhythm of life that slows down this life we live. The third cost, hidden cost of hurry, and this is probably the biggest one of all, is that it damages my relationships. Hurry damages my relationships. I understand we live in a microwave world. We live in an Instagram, instant moment, give it to me, instant world. But relationships are not microwavable. Relationships have to be cooked in the crock pot, slow and steady over a long period of time. And we're just not used to doing that. See, maybe that's the reason our relationships are so fragile. Maybe that's the reason that we rush from relationship to relationship to relationship, never hanging in long enough to go deep and truly get to know others. But I get it, we don't like to think like that. Because if we start thinking that way, we got to make some changes. And we don't want to make changes. And so we justify our busy lives and the damages it causes to the people around us by lying to ourselves and believing the myth of this thing called quality time. You heard about that, right? The justification for being busy. I don't spend a lot of time with my kids, but when I do, it's quality. I don't spend a lot of time with my spouse or my friends, but when I do, it's quality. Let me tell you something, friends. That is a lie. When it comes to relationships, time is time. And it's all quality and quantity over time is what makes the difference. You know how I know that? Through my own failures. 
my own busy, chaotic schedule and my belief that I could build strong relationships with my children and my wife with just investing in a few quality hours, a few quality days, a few quality vacations, and that would make everything okay. And it doesn't. Time is time. That's what God says about deep relationships. Look at Psalm 60, verse 10. Very simple, very powerful. Be still and know that I'm God. What is he saying? He's saying, be still. Slow down. The slower you go, the more you will get to know and connect with me. And by the way, that word know, K-N-O-W, when it appears in the Bible in both the Old and New, most of the time it's not talking about knowledge about. God is not saying, slow down and memorize my Wikipedia information so you can know about me. That word know literally translated means intimacy with. It's the same word that is used to describe the physical intimacy between a husband and a wife. You know, Adam knew Eve and she bore him a son. It's that level of connection and God says to get that with me, you got to slow down. But he's also saying that about our relationships with each other. The slower we go, the more intimately we get connected with the people that matter. And the faster we go, the more shallow and surfacy and fragile our relationships become. There's a huge cost to living too fast. I saw a t-shirt sometime back. Thought it was kind of humorous when I read it. It said, it's not the speed of life that scares me. It's the sudden stop at the end. And I giggled like you did, but then I thought about it, and I thought, you know, as Christ followers, it should be just the exact opposite, right? We're not scared of the sudden stop at the end because we know where we're going. What we should be afraid of is the speed, the pace of our life. And I guarantee you, every one of us, if we're willing to be honest, would recognize in those three things we just talked about some of that in our own world. We are paying a cost for the pace of our life. It's unquestionable. It doesn't matter what you believe about God or the Bible. This is not a Christian thing. This is just a life thing. There is a heavy cost to living too fast. I think the bigger question for us this morning is, what are we going to do about it? How do we slow down our lives? How do we live at a pace that improves our relationships? How do we live life at, at a speed that allows us to be who God created to be? How do we develop a pace of life that doesn't suck all the joy out of the days of our lives? There are a lot of things you can do. I just want to share three, of a, three with us this morning. Three strategies, simple but not easy, to slowing down. Number one, you got to start with the heart. If you really want to slow down the pace of your life, you got to start with the heart. You know, throughout this series, we've had one consistent message the whole time. And that is that stress and overload is an inside job, right? It starts from within us, not what's going on around us. And nowhere is that more true than this speed of life. 
See, most of us think the best way to slow down is to go home today and start cleaning out your schedule. Right? Just start scratching off. No, I'm not going to do that. Get rid of that. Say no to that. Check off no to that. When we think, you know what? That will slow my life down. And it will for a while. But you know what's going to happen? Those empty spaces in your schedule. You're going to start filling them up. And all of a sudden, three months, six months from now, you're going to be just as busy, if not more, than you were not right now. You know why I know that? Because I've done it. I've tried to just manage my schedule and fix it. The problem is it ends up filled. Why? Because it's a heart issue. You're not busy because you have a full schedule. You have a full schedule because you are discontent. Let me say that again. You're not busy because you have a full schedule. You have a full schedule because your heart is not content. We want what we don't have. And so we run faster and faster to get what we don't have and end up not enjoying what we do have. It's a heart issue. Look at Philippians 4, verse 11. The Apostle Paul says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Circle that phrase, learn to be content. Why does Paul say, I've learned to be content? Because contentment ain't natural. The human heart is naturally discontent. And so battling the busyness bug is not just about being intentional with your Google Calendar. It's about being intentional with your heart. How do you learn to be content? What would it take to help you be more content? I think one of the best things you can do is just recognize and avoid the discontentment trap. There are things in our culture that foster the discontent in our hearts. One of those things is this constant desire for wanting more. More, more, more. We talked about this last week, that the culture tells you that what you need is just over that next mountain, so get on to climbing it. What you need is one more rung up the corporate ladder, so go ahead and climb it. But what we discover is over that mountain and up that rung is not peace and rest, it's just more stress and busyness. Now look, I'm not saying that having a contented heart means just go home, kick back in the recliner with Doritos and watch TV and say, God, let me know what you need me to do. I'm just slowing down. No, you ought to be passionate about the things that matter. You ought to pursue the things that God created you for. But when you pursue more simply for the sake of more to try to fill a void that only Jesus can fill, your heart will never be content. That's why Jesus says this, Luke 12, 15. Guard against every kind of greed. Why? Because life is not measured by how much you own. Can I make an observation? I'm 55 now, so I'm in the second half of life. And and I'm at that age like I'm an old man that just kind of observes what's going on. And here's something I have observed in our culture, and in our community. We spend the first half of our life sacrificing our health to build wealth, only to have to spend the second half of our life sacrificing that wealth to pursue health. You understand what I'm saying? 
We save up all this money, work so hard, only to have to spend the rest of our lives spending that money on doctors, hospitals, or giving it to ungrateful children. That's pretty much your options, right? I'm just saying, why not be balanced through the whole thing? Slow down, save your health and your money, and live for the long haul. Wanting more will make your heart discontent. You know what else will make your heart discontent? No, oh, this is a big one. Comparison. Comparing your life to others will always make you discontent. You know why? Because we always compare up, not down. Right? When's the last time you, you looked at somebody who was worse off than you and thought, I'm so thankful? And yet how often do you look at Instagram and Facebook and somebody's wonderful Facebook life and go, oh, my life stinks. They're like, they got everything. They get to do everything. They must have money. They got this house. Do you know the problem with comparing? Is you are comparing your known reality to your perception of their reality. You know what goes on behind closed doors in your house. You don't know that about the people around you, and it creates discontent. Proverbs 14, 30. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy, envy rots the bones. You want to restore some sanity to your schedule? Then start with the heart. Number two, develop a godly schedule. And notice I capitalize godly. Because I want you to understand, when I say godly schedule... I'm not just saying that your current schedule is ungodly. I'm also saying apply the principles of God to the schedule of your life. Did you know that God has a lot to say about our schedules and time management in His Word? In fact, the number one thing that God says about our schedule is the fourth commandment. It's in God's top ten, Exodus 20. Look at what God says. Work and get everything done during six days each week, but the seventh day is a day of what? What does that say? Day of rest, to honor the Lord your God. On that day, no one may do any work. You've heard of this command before, right? We have a name for it. It's a Hebrew word that starts with S. What are we talking about? Shout it out. Sabbath. Do you know what the word Sabbath means? One out of seven. God is simply saying one out of seven days in a week, just shut it down. you got to love a God who's one of the first things out of his mouth in his top ten is take a day off. But to really understand what God is saying with this commandment, you got to understand the context. God gave these commands to the nation of Israel, brand new nation he was putting together. They had just spent the last 400 years in Egypt as what? What were they? Right, they came out of a slave culture. You know what a slave culture means? You better work, work every day. Work is the only way you survive. If you can't work, there's no retirement home, there's no hospital, there's no paid time off. You're thrown out onto the garbage heap. So all they knew for 400 years, their parents, their grandparents, their great-grandparents, all they had known is you got to work to survive. All you got to do is like that song. Let me see you work, 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 work. Everybody work, work, work. That's all they knew was work 
for survival. And so when God shows up and says, I want you to take a day off each week, he's not saying because you're exhausted from all that work. He's saying, I want you to learn to trust me and not yourself. Trust that when you're not working, I can do more than you could ever ask or imagine. So God says to the nation of Israel, when the sun goes down on Friday, shut it down. Put down the tools, put the animals away, go in the house, and don't do anything until the sun comes up on Sunday morning. And can you imagine these people who have known nothing but hard work to survive? They say, but, 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 but what about God? What if there's still crop in the field? God says, trust me. But what if there's still grapes that haven't been picked? Trust me. What if there's still work piled up on my desk at the office? Trust me. This is an issue of trusting God with your schedule. Now listen, we are not part of a slave culture, but if we are not careful, we become slaves to our culture that tells us to matter, you got to work. To matter, you got to do more than everybody else. See, our problem is not that we don't take days off. We're Americans. We get two days off a week. America, two days off a week. Our problem is not we don't take days off of work. Our problem is we never truly leave work. It ain't a Sabbath if you're at home checking emails, if you're worrying about what's going on in the office, if you're still trying to work when you're not working. It's a lack of trust in God. You know another key principle to following God's principles for your schedule? Not only do you need to trust him enough to take a real day off, you need to trust his timing. Look at Proverbs 27, 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. You know who wrote that? David, King David. But what you need to understand is that for David, these were not just pretty poetic words to put in a worship song. This was a truth learned from a lifetime of waiting on God. God promised David that he would be the king of Israel when he was 14 years old. It didn't come true for almost three decades. And yet David learned to wait on God. Multiple times he had opportunities to off King Saul, to take matters into his own hands, to speed up the timetable, but he chose to trust God by waiting on God's timing. Some of you this morning have been waiting on God for a long time. And I get it. It is so hard. It is so painful. Some of you have been waiting for years for that prodigal to come home. Some of you have been waiting for God to work that miracle in your marriage. Some of you have been waiting for God to meet that need financially or to meet that health issue. And it's so tempting because of the pain of waiting to run ahead of God. But when we do that, we don't make it better. We always make it worse. Develop a godly schedule based on his principles and in your trust in him. And then finally, number three, maybe the most practical one of all, is to ask before you add. To ask before you add. 
See, most of us have busy schedules, not because we got so many people asking us to do so many things. Most of us have busy schedules because we just say yes to anything without even asking. We just pull up the Google Calendar, and if there's a space, I'm in. And we run after it without ever thinking, is this good? Is this right? Is this what I should be doing? Look at Proverbs 20, 25. It says, it is a trap to dedicate something rashly and only later to consider one's vows. What does that mean? It means think before you commit. Think before you say yes, because commitments are easier to make than they are to keep. It's easy to get stuff on your calendar. It's tough sometimes to get it off. But most of us just mindly say, yeah, sure, I'll do it. Count on me. Without ever asking ourselves, one, is it worth it? Is the stuff you're saying yes to worth giving your life to? Because that's what you're doing. Your life is your time. There's only so much. You can get more money, but you can't get more time. And everything you put on your calendar, you are exchanging your life for. Ask yourself, is this worth it? The other thing you need to ask yourself is, what am I giving up to say yes to it? Because you think, because there's nothing in that space on the calendar that saying yes is not costing you anything. But it's costing you everything. No margin. No rest. When you say yes, because you got an empty space, you're saying no to rest. And you might even be saying no to a God-ordained encounter with somebody that you are perfectly shaped to help and to serve. you got to ask. What determines what you say yes to? What determines, what's the filter before something goes on to your calendar? I think if most of us were honest, we would have to admit that it's what other people think. The opinions of others. How many things do you put on your schedule because you're like, I can't say no because they might think this of me or they might not be my friend anymore. And all of a sudden we fill up our schedule without ever asking any questions. A lot of us fill up our schedule not because we care what other people think. We fill up our schedule because we don't want downtime to deal with the emptiness. We stay busy, busy, busy to avoid dealing with that hole in our heart. And we just think if we can fill up our schedule with activity, then we can deal with life. I love what the Bible says in James 1.5. It says, if you want to know what God wants you to do. If you want to know what God wants you to put on your Google Calendar, ask Him, and He will gladly tell you. Hey, when's the last time you prayed about something before you said yes to it? And when I say pray about it, I don't mean the Christian procrastination. You know what I'm talking about? Somebody asks you to do something, you have no intention, no desire to do it, but you don't have the guts to tell them no, so you say, well, let me pray about it. Let me pray about that before I put it on. You ain't going to pray about it. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about simply asking God, is this what you want me to do with the gift of time you have given me? Because listen, I'm convinced the more we ask before we add, not only will our life become less crowded, but I believe our lives will be more impactful. And I know that's what I want in my life. And that's what I want for your life as well. Last verse on your outline, Psalm 90. Teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Would you pray with me?
I don't know what's going on in your life right now. I don't know where your stress meter and your speedometer is. But wherever you are, I am convinced God brought you here for a purpose. Whether you're joining us at one of our campuses, whether you're just watching online with a group or just by yourself, God had this message for you today because he loves you. He cares about you individually. And he wants you to experience the gift and the joy of life. And that joy is not about removing tough circumstances. It's not about turning your life on this earth into easy street. It comes from just resting and trusting in him. No matter how painful, no matter how difficult, no matter how confused you are this morning. Jesus would look into your face. He's looking into your face this morning. And he's saying, trust me. Trust me with that prodigal. Trust me with your finances. Trust me with your life. Oh, Father, teach us to truly trust you. That our faith becomes real and shows up in the way we live our lives and the time we make to truly love others. In Jesus' name, amen.